Hello, everyone. Before we start the show, I've got a quick announcement. We were on a little bit of a time crunch for this one, and in our haste, I forgot to plug Play Comics. So I'm doing that now. Play Comics is a podcast all about video game adaptations of comic book and manga properties. Emmy and I were on the show recently chatting about the game UN Squadron based on the manga Area 88. That episode should be up or going up pretty soon as of this episode dropping. So head on over to wherever you listen to your podcast and hear us chat with Chris on Play Comics. go wrong it's nescapades a chronological journey through the north american super nintendo library with a few pit stops along the way we play them briefly we judge them harshly and we rank them that is pretty much all you need to know i'm steampunk link i'm emmy zero we've got some games today we got three games i would say maybe we've got the good the bad and the Eh, but I think you feel pretty differently about these three than I do. Yeah, I do, actually. I'm more on the eh side for all of them, actually. I think we do have some genuine differences of opinion here, which is going to be interesting to play out. Um, we've got three platform games today, all all the same genre, so that's that's kind of interesting. Usually it doesn't line up quite that cleanly, but I guess we're at the point now where we are probably going to see a lot of platform games on the Super Nintendo. So today we have got Alien 3, we have got Bubsy, Claws Encounters of the Furred Kind. It's a bad title. It's a bad title. And we've got Congo's Caper, which uh, you may be surprised to know is actually a sequel to Joe and Mac. Is it? Wow, I had no idea. It is meant to be in that same universe, apparently. Yeah, I can kind of see it. I, uh, as we'll get into talking about it, I do think Joe and Mac has more personality than this game, but I, I can see the I can see a connection there. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, uh, do we just want to jump right into it? Let's start with Alien 3, Alien Cubed, Alien the Third. Yes. Let's do it. So Alien 3, uh, this one comes to us from Acclaim and Probe Entertainment. Uh, handling the publishing and development, respectively. We've talked about Acclaim before. I think we did a deep dive on them back when we discussed Krusty's Super Funhouse. Mm-hmm. Probe was a uh, London-based studio known for working on a lot of arcade console conversions, among other things, before being acquired by Acclaim in 1995 and being renamed Acclaim Studios London, and, of course, becoming a casualty of the Acclaim ship sinking in 2004. Surprisingly, I don't think we've done a deep dive on Probe yet. Yeah, that's interesting, because I remember my memories of Super Ni- playing the Super Nintendo as a kid are full of Probe games, so I'm kind of surprised that this does appear to be the, the first time we're, we're doing a major look at them. I don't have a deep dive ready for them today, but we will get plenty of other chances. It's so weird, because I could swear that we've covered a Probe game before, but I don't know, I guess we will probe that topic at a later date. Ooh, very good. I'm going to talk about Alien 3 a little bit before we talk about Alien 3. I think we've brought it up before, but uh, as, a, as a movie, it's kind of a strange fit for an action game. The first Alien is a classic sci-fi horror movie. Really good movie. I watched it recently, and I think it still holds up. Yeah. I don't 
know if I would be quite as kind to literally any other movie in this franchise. I think Aliens is not nearly as good of a movie as Alien, which uh, to me, uh, Alien is one of my top 10 movies. Alien is like, I think, an all-time classic of cinema, basically. But Aliens, I don't know that it holds up tremendously well in comparison to Alien, but I think it's a very good popcorn movie. Like, I think that it's very effective at, at what it does and in trying to be a thing that takes Alien in an extremely different direction while still retaining some of the, like, dread and horror. That being said, I, I think it also has a lot of not great 80s gender politics stuff in it that really kind of tanks that movie for me in some ways. But I do think it's pretty good. And then Alien 3... Alien 3 is a, a strange movie. Have you seen Alien 3? I've seen it but it was a while back and i think it was like on tv so i probably didn't get like the full alien 3 experience probably not and like alien 3 very uh tortured production history for that movie so okay alien happened big success Aliens was sort of the product of James Cameron coming in and having an idea that excited a lot of people. So they, they got going with doing a sequel to Alien. But because Aliens was a big success in its own right, that was the point at which it sort of became like a proper, a capital F franchise. And there was sort of a desire to keep it going, regardless of the fact that nobody had a really clear idea of what they wanted that to look like. They went through a whole bunch of different variations of the bunch of different people working on it over uh, a number of years. At one point, it was set in a monastery. Uh, at one point, I believe concurrently with that, it was set on a planet that was made of wood. And uh, at some point, we ended up with what we got, which is a movie directed by David Fincher. It was the first movie he directed, and it was him coming out of having been a very successful music video director and kind of getting this big production sort of foisted on him where he didn't really have a ton of control, but it still has a lot of very impressive sort of like visual stylization that he would later go on to use in movies like Seven and Fight Club. But it is an interesting idea for a movie. Uh, it's basically taking Alien and putting the creature and putting the Ellen Ripley character in a situation where there are very few options for her to use to fight back against it, and where the environment itself is extremely hostile. It's a movie set on a prison planet, and uh, there's no guns, there's no flamethrowers, uh, there's pretty much just... Uh, a big kind of foundry and a bunch of tools and a bunch of people that all hate each other and are honestly really, really dangerous. So it's an interesting movie. It's really bleak, really nihilistic uh, in a way that feels honestly feels bad for the Alien franchise, especially since this was supposed to be the last movie in it. This does have a very conclusive ending, and it is the biggest bummer you could possibly have, pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's a strange movie, and it's also strange material for a game, because I think if you were to really make Alien 3 into a game, it would end up having to be something a lot more like Clock Tower let's say, than, than, you know, an action game. Like, it would be a lot of running, a lot of hiding, improvising traps, things like that. It doesn't seem like American companies developing or producing console games or consoles in general were interested in bringing, like, true horror experiences to those platforms, which is unfortunate. You know, I, I do think there's a lot more that could have been done with Alien 3. That said, though, 
I think what's here is honestly pretty impressive. Yeah, tell me about what you like about the tell tell me about the game, I guess. Tell me tell me about, you know, just explain explain what this is. I mean, first of all, I was pretty impressed by the graphics right out of the gate. I think Ripley animates very, very well. I think her sprite looks good. These levels that she's in, they're they're big, sprawling areas. The game sort of plays out almost a little bit Metroidvania-y, but a little bit more directed, I guess you could say. So you're playing as Ellen Ripley. The first thing you're probably going to do is walk up to a computer terminal, and it's going to give you a set of missions. And you select a mission, and it tells you basically what you need to do and where you need to go in order to do it. And it even gives you like a map that you can explore. Once you've seen what the mission is, you can, you know, take a look at the entire level. You can go into doors via the, the online blueprints, I guess you call them. I think it's a really interesting idea. I I think it's almost got like a super Mario 64 esque quality where it's taking these big levels and, using them as sort of a playground to give the player different things to do in different areas. I wouldn't say it's really scary, though I do think that, you know, the aliens look like the creepy aliens from the movies, They you know, in all their uh, geekery glory. Um, yeah. Whenever you destroy the alien eggs, you have like those bottom of the eggshells just dripping with the alien slime and everything. It's really good. It's really good animation, yeah. Yeah, the animation in this game, I think, is is very, very good. It's gross to a point because obviously Nintendo wasn't going to let it be, you know, too gross or horrifying. I think there are some things that get lost in this game, like in the Genesis version of the game. You're basically just tasked with rescuing people who have been cocooned or whatever by the aliens. So you're trying to save them with the time limit before right. chest bursters come out of them, which is not something that you have to worry about here, probably because Nintendo was a little bit too squeamish to depict something like that on their system. <laughs> yeah, I do think that that's kind of a shame. I think that, you know, they could have upped the challenge a bit by saying, you know, like, hey, you've got a time limit on some of these things where you've got to save all these people before the time runs out. But I really do like... The the diversity of missions. I like the fact that, you know, you have to go to different places, sometimes places that you've been before, but now you have to interact with those levels in different ways. I think it controls pretty well. I do wish that the guns were all mapped to one button. And, you know, since you cycle through the ammo types with the L and R buttons anyway, I don't see any reason why you couldn't just do that sort of Mega Man X style and just have the attack button mapped to whichever weapon you happen to have at the time. I, I didn't like that as much, but everything else I thought was a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I think the, the sound effects are, are good in this game. I think the music's pretty good. And, and like I said, the visuals are just very impressive. Like with Acclaim, it, it really is a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get. And, you know, like we've, we've seen quite a few Acclaim games that have been less than stellar, but uh, this is honestly just a really impressive effort to me. Yeah, it looks really nice. And I, I, I think I think it does have a really good sort of opp oppressive feel to it with the music and everything like there's not that much different music, but it's all these kind of like really industrial driving tracks that make you feel like like things are just sort of like, you know, crushing down on you, you know? It's an interesting game, and I appreciate a lot of what it's trying to do, but I don't think it works as well for me as it does for you. You know, I think that, honestly, having a time limit in those prisoner rescue missions might have definitely helped for me, because, uh, you know, I, I just kind of feel like there's there's several different 
kinds of missions. You know, they're they're all kind of different variations on go here and do a thing. You know, there's ones where you have to rescue prisoners. There's ones where you have to destroy alien eggs. There's ones where you have to restart like a, a computer, well, like, like a generator or like a computer terminal thing. It is a cool way to reuse this sort of like big persistent world map in different ways. But like, for me at least, I felt like a lot of the content in this game got really samey after a while, uh, to the point where it's it's kind of like, yeah, it's a huge buffet, but the buffet is made up entirely of, like, chicken salad sandwiches, you know? It's like, I like a chicken salad sandwich, I can eat, like, a couple of them probably, but at a certain point I kind of wanted a little more variety. That's not really to take away from like the the effort here, which I think especially compared to a lot of the licensed games we've seen on the Super Nintendo, uh this is a way more well thought out game. I am curious, um how far did you get into the game? I you know, I I did or made a good attempt to do one of each of the kinds of missions that were available at the start. I know there's a few others. There's there's kind of boss fights that get added in a little bit later where you have to go and, like, fight, like, a big alien. Am I kind of selling this game short? Like, is there actually more variety here than I'm giving it credit for? No, I, I do think you've got a point. You know, I, I do think that while there is, like, a variety of missions in the sense that, like, okay, in this one you're saving prisoners, in this one you're sealing pipes that are leaking, the objective is always go here and be present there. Like, if you're rescuing prisoners, you go over to them, you touch them, and they're free. If you're sealing pipes, you're going over there, you're holding down the blowtorch button for a few seconds to seal it, and then you're done. You know, the biggest variety might be, you know, like where you're, you know, destroying alien eggs, where you're going into a place and you're kind of putting yourself at risk to to get rid of them all. And so, yeah, I, I can definitely see what you're saying there. I think that if they had thought of ways in which to make those missions a little bit more varied than go to point A, and sometimes and then from point A go to point B or something like that, if, if they had made it more, you know, like like there's some missions in which you have to seal doors. Right. And that makes it so that you can't go through that door anymore. One path is now sealed off to you. So you're completing a mission, but you're also changing the space in a way. And I think that if they could have found more creative ways to do that sort of thing that would have made this game just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that would have been really cool. I do think that there is some really smart level design in here. I think that like the the thing where, you know, sometimes you'll have to grab onto, you know, uh, things from the ceiling and, and hand over hand your way from one area to another. I think that those can be used in kind of interesting ways. I also think that um, Ripley's sprite animates like really, really well. Definitely, yeah. It's a really great example of just how good the sprite work is in this game. Like you see her weapon kind of dangling from her shoulder. It's it's all very good. Another thing that I noticed that was kind of neat in the second level, there was um, a platform moving up and down in an area that seemed completely inaccessible. But because of where that platform was moving, I kind of thought like, okay, it's moving as if I could just walk through there. And then I did. And it turns out, okay, that's like a little secret area. If you go, if you jump up here, you can actually go through this wall that looks solid. Nice. They were sort of hinting at that with that moving platform. And so I kind of felt like, hey, you know what? That's smart level design. I kind of like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's very good. Um, yeah, I also do think, though, that, you know, 
the enemies are also another part where this game gets a little bit samey, you know, because you are you know, typically dealing with the same group of aliens <laughs> again and again that just sort of endlessly spawn into the area. If they could have emphasized an alien threat that was more difficult than just, hey, blast it with your blowtorch really quick, that was maybe like pursuing you and you had to like go to places to hide from it, like you were talking about with a clock tower-esque sort of scenario, that would have been really cool as well. Definitely more interesting things they could have done with it, but it's a 2D run-and-gun platform-type game with levels that I think are laid out pretty well that give you a bit of a variety of things to do. I think this game is pretty good. I think it's surprisingly good. I, I do want to really hammer home like how good the visuals are. I love the backgrounds in this game a lot. The backgrounds are amazing. The steel mill part with the big hanging... Uh, that's a molten metal, really good looking. One other thing I really love that they did here, when you die. Oh yes, yes. The game over screen, you got the big ugly alien, and then you hear the voice clip, game over, man. And with that, when I heard that, I was just like, oh, Brilliant, brilliant, bravo. That is great. That is really, really fun. It is the voice clip. It's Bill Paxton from Aliens saying that. And uh, it's perfect. It's really good that that it's here. You can genuinely tell that the people making this game had a lot of affection for this series, which is great because sometimes you play a licensed game and it does not feel like that. <laughs> so yeah, see it in like where, you know, how all the aliens animate, you know, you can see it in the attempt to capture, maybe not the feel of this movie, but, but an alien movie, just the fact that like they put that, that voice clip in there when they, they didn't need to do that, but they did, uh, is really cool. I almost wonder if that line was written because they knew that this was inevitably going to get turned into a video game. <laughs> you know, Jay James Cameron, pretty, uh, pretty savvy marketer. So, you know, uh, who can who can say? All right. Well, we should probably turn our attention over to the list and see uh, how far up the list these aliens are going to skitter up. Where do you uh, do you have a, a, a place that you'd like us to start looking here? I was looking pretty high and, and you'll you'll probably push back against that this and that's fine. You know, obviously, you know, I, I'm I'm OK with giving up some ground here, but I kind of think this is a better game than Hook at number 20. I kind of feel like this is a top 20 game. Ooh, okay. Interesting. My place that I was starting to look on here for this was actually, it, it was still relatively high on the list, but it is quite a bit lower than where you were looking. And that was The Adams Family at number 39. Uh, I think they're kind of similar in some ways. I think they both do some fun stuff with sort of open plan level design. I do think that Alien 3 is probably sort of just a more playable game. It doesn't have that vicious British game difficulty level that, that the Adams Family does. This is a British-developed game. It is a British-developed game. I think they just sort of pulled back from that a little bit more. So, you know, I, I would go up from there. Uh, you were saying that you, you would put this above Hook, right? I was, but I'm I'm willing to start from where you were at in... in work our way up instead of working our way down. I would definitely put this above King of the Monsters at 38. Yeah, I, I would too. We've got a couple of sports games. We actually got quite a few sports games above that. Uh, you know, so I think maybe... What about Super Star Wars? What do you think um, 
How do you, how do you think these two games compare? Oh, that's a really good one, actually. Um, I think I like this more than Super Star Wars. Once again, I think it's more playable. I think that it has a lot of the same kind of things that you can say positively about it, about trying to kind of, you know, uh, it has really good graphics. It is trying to capture like a mood really well, you know, but I, I do think that it is less, you know, I, I think the structure of it makes it feel less punishingly difficult than super star Wars. We can keep going up, but I think I'm feeling like we're kind of in, for me, at least, kind of in the ballpark for it. Because on the one hand, it's kind of hard for me to justify putting this below Tiny Toons. But on the other hand, like, I, don't know, I could see it going below Mario Paint. What do you think about between Mario Paint and East 3? That's where I would put it. I think I feel good about that. And I think that is where it's going to go then. So this will be our new number 29? Yes, new number 29. Very good showing for Alien 3. One of the, I, I think, one of the best rankings for a licensed game we've had. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, not as good as Tiny Toons or Hook now, but... <laughs> That's true. There is kind of a clump of, of pretty good ones up there. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's it's still in, in good company here. I wasn't prepared to enjoy that one as much as I did. It, it's something that, you know, I did temper my expectations for, and I, th I think I uh, met them. <laughs> <laughs> Reasonably, yeah. Yeah, it was um, the uh, the Bubsy game, which is, has a ridiculously long and painful to say title because it's just so ridiculous. All right, I guess we're going to talk about Bubsy Claws Encounters of the Furred Kind. That's probably one of the last times you'll have to say the full name of the game on the plus side, so... Let's roast the Bubster. Uh, go ahead and tell us about where this game comes from. All right. So this comes to us from Accolade, and uh, we have done a deep dive on them before. We discussed them back in episode 45, talking about Test Drive 2 and Warp Speed. So we shouldn't need to discuss that today, but I guess we could talk a little bit about Bubsy. Um, you know, there's a, a long pantheon of uh, cartoon mascots in video games, you know, characters that were either mascots from other things that were made into video games or just, you know, mascots that were created whole cloth as video games. And uh, Bubsy sure is one of those. <laughs> he sure is. I, I think he's arguably one of the er examples of this. Yeah, Bubsy the Bobcat. Yeah, so this marks his first appearance. Uh, this game came out on the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, as did the sequel, which was mercifully just named Bubsy 2. That one also came out on Game Boy. A third Bubsy game, which was called Bubsy in Fractured Fairy Tales. Excuse me, I, I think you mean Fractured Furry Tales. Do I mean that? I think you do, unfortunately. If only because I'm I'm pretty sure Fractured Fairy Tales was a trademark of J. Ward Productions. <laughs> You're right, it is Fractured Furry Tales. Sorry to make you do another uh, Bubsy pun, but yes. It sure was called that, yeah. Um... Anyway, that came out exclusively on the Atari Jaguar, or uh, Jaguar, for some reason. 
And then we get Bubsy is 3D in Forbidden Planet. Woof. That was the name of the fourth game. Bubsy is 3D in Forbidden Planet, I think is the name I of didn't it. know that. I didn't know that was the full title of that game. Uh, that's, a, that's a regrettable thing from top to bottom. Yeah, this was the infamously horrendous 3D platformer that came out on PS1, uh, a game that earns frequent spots on internet lists with titles like Top 10 Worst Games Ever. To be fair to that game... It was being designed concurrently with Mario 64, so they had no idea that Nintendo had kind of, like, cracked the code on how to do a good 3D platformer. They were just sort of coming up with those mechanics off the top of the dome, and uh, they didn't figure it out, like, at all. It's a really bad game, but at least it's a bad game that was made basically in a vacuum. Even if Super Mario 64 never existed, that game is still garbage. It's more explicable when you don't have Mario 64 as a model to uh, to base your, your controls on. Yeah. It's a bad game, though. I'm not saying it's not. Yep. It was uh, so bad that the planned Sega Saturn port got canceled. And once again, for some reason... Bubsy has seen a resurgence. Um, Bubsy, the Wooly Strike Back, and Bubsy Paws on Fire, uh, released in 2017 and 2019, respectively. I almost feel sorry for Bubsy because, like, nobody's ever liked this. Nobody wants more Bubsy. Everybody hates Bubsy. Everybody who works on Bubsy seems to know that Bubsy is bad and unliked, and yet they just won't let him die. They just keep putting him in everyone's face to be mercilessly mocked and ridiculed. Yeah, it's a cursed life. Yeah, I think that, like, Bubsy the Wooly Strike Back was on Giant Bomb's worst games we played that year. <laughs> the year came out. I, I want to blow your mind with something here that you may not know. All right. As if all this wasn't enough, there was a Bubsy cartoon. Oh, no. In 1993. Oh, no. Thankfully, never made it past the pilot stage. Wow. But if you want to see it, you can watch the Bubsy pilot on YouTube right now. I made it two minutes in. Okay, so we will talk about the, you know, the game mechanics of Bubsy in a minute. But, like, just to start off, I do want to be clear that one of the worst things about this game is is the Bubsy character himself. Like, he is unpleasant to look at, he's obnoxious, and he's just bad. He's just unappealing, and you could replace him with, like, a white blob, and it would be better. Like, the game would be materially better if I didn't have to see Bubsy while I was playing it. I will actually push back a little bit on the idea that Bubsy is not appealing to look at. Like, he is too plain. He's too ordinary to be unappealing to look at. I guess that's true. There is a character there that you could have done something with. Like, if they ever figured out, like, what kind of personality Bubsy should have, and if it was something even slightly appealing... If they just could have found whatever they needed to make Bubsy a palatable character. I, I think the big problem is that, like, Bubsy is two different contradictory things. He is always the coolest cat in the room and also just like a hapless, put upon, accident prone everyman. Yeah, he's, he's supposed to be Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny at the same time and it doesn't work. So having said all that, I don't think this game is as terrible as the Bubsy franchise as a whole would suggest it is. I'm going to try and start out by being a little bit kind to Bubsy. I'm going to talk about like what I think this game is meant to be and like the ways in which it 
almost kind of works. I, I think this game is basically going for two big things. And unlike Bubsy's personality, they're not necessarily contradictory. I think this is trying to be an interactive cartoon, and it's also kind of trying to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, that's true. Those are definitely two things that it is trying to do uh, with, you know, it's not entirely unsuccessful at either of those things, actually. The way in which it tries to be an interactive cartoon, like Bubsy is a very animated character. He's he's very well drawn. He's not well animated. There just aren't enough frames of animation in a lot of his actions to pull that off really well. I think maybe like fewer death animations in lieu of just giving some of the ones that you've got left over more frames. There are a lot of death animations. Like he has a lot of specific death animations for pretty much every different way you can die in this game. I don't think that this necessarily works, but I think it's a novel idea that I respect. Anytime Bubsy falls onto one of these like log flume things in the first level, the music abruptly changes to like this sort of <laughs> cartoon, like, oh no, I'm falling down a flight of stairs sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's clever. I don't know if it, I think it works very well, but it's it's a clever use of music that, um, again, tries to convey that cartoonness of the presentation. The animations that are there, you know, even though I don't think they're well animated, you know, they're they're expressive. They're not bad. I think that some of them don't work at all, like the way that Bubsy sort of turns into a cartoon fight cloud whenever he attacks an enemy. It's a trope in Western animation, like two characters start fighting and instead of animating a fight scene, you just animate a giant cloud of smoke with the idea that both characters are lost in this cloud of smoke fighting each other. Right. That visual language doesn't work when Bubsy collides with an enemy and the enemy just disappears because... I'm not getting the sense that he's like sucked the enemy into that ball of of dust. No, he he hasn't. He's just he himself turns into a fight cloud. But yeah, the enemy just dies uh, visibly on screen. The weird choice, and there's there's a few of them like that. Like it is not great that Bubsy has several animations that where he gets like dazed or flattened or something, but then he's fine. But also, it's possible for Bubsy to take fall damage from falling from a great height. It's not immediately clear what has happened to him or whether or not you've just died sometimes. Yeah, there have definitely been times where I died and I didn't understand why. I think it had something to do with the way I came out of one of those log flume scenarios. Yeah, that's that happened to me, too. He doesn't typically take fall damage. So, OK, is it the distance that I fell? Was it the amount of time uh, after leaving one of those before I touched the ground again, that was the problem. I wasn't sure. And that kind of gets me into, you know, the, the sort of Sonic the Hedgehog aspects of the game that, again, just don't work in your average Sonic game or your average 2D Sonic game. You know, you are moving really, really fast, which means you're launching your character off into the unknown. You're you're just kind of bolting off in a direction without being able to see what's ahead of you. So, the game has to be designed around the idea that, like, however you do that, you're probably going to land someplace relatively safe. Uh-huh. This game does not do that. No, it does not. Yeah, when I've I've often found myself just kind of, like, careening off into, you know, some random direction and just kind of hoping that I can stay in the air long enough to get someplace safe, hoping that there isn't water below me because Bubsy cannot swim and water is instant death. In, in fact, everything is instant death to Bubsy. Any damage he takes will uh, cost him a life. 
Yeah, I think that it's really important to understand why Sonic uses the ring system for its, like, damage, because it always gives you an opportunity to get back to safety. Exactly. After you've been hurt. And, like, there is no equivalent here for that. Like, it would be one thing if, like, a bunch of yarn balls fell out of him and you could grab him up to be to be safe again. Uh, but, yeah, he just he is just a, a one-hit kill bobcat. Like, that is the big problem with trying to make a Sonic-like is that you've got to have some sort of insurance for the player because they're going to be going too fast to reasonably expect that they can react in time. And so if you don't have that sort of safety net in the form of something like Sonic's Rings, then... Yeah, it just doesn't work, and, and it just becomes frustrating. And there's also just all sorts of weird enemies that, like, I don't quite know what the theme is supposed to be all the time. No. And sometimes, again, it just feels like it's just doing a cartoon gag for the sake of doing cartoon gags. And, and in a way, like, I think that's okay. I think you can make a game like that, but I don't think you can also make that game Sonic the Hedgehog in some ways. Like... I, there was a car enemy. Yeah, yeah. Jumped on top of him, and I bounced off of him. And then I came back down, and he's still coming after me. I jumped on him again, but this time, apparently, the roof was down. So Bubsy lands in the car, the roof comes up over him, and the car drives off with him inside it, and I, lo I lose a life. That exact thing happened to me as well. Yeah, and I was just like, wait, how could I have possibly known that was going to happen? And, and again, you know, like, it is kind of a funny gag. Like, it, it plays with your expectations, and there is something kind of funny about that. But, like, this isn't a game about just experiencing weird, funny things happening. This is a game where you're trying to get from point A to point B, where there's limited checkpoints. So something that should have just been kind of like a, a you know, like a good chuckle and like, okay, game, you got me there, just becomes annoying because now I've got to replay this chunk of the game again. And it's also, it's frustrating too, because there are parts of this game where the controls and the level design actually do work together. And when that happens, the game is actually reasonably fun. Like, you know, he has, he controls very much like Sonic. He's got a lot of momentum. He can do some really high jumps. Sometimes this all works. And then you run into something like that, and it's just not, it's just not good, and it, it, it kills, it, in a literal and figurative sense, it kills the momentum of the stage. I don't think this is one of the worst platform games we've played, but it's not, it's got real problems. Again, I can kind of see like what they were trying to do. And in some ways, I can see where they were even successful at that. But I don't know. It makes me sad because I do think that, you know, like at least judging from this first game, there was potential here for the character and, and for like how this series could have gone. I think if they had leaned into like this being a cartoon character that you're interacting with, I, I think there could have been some real promise there that they just don't capitalize on they really should have just made a uh, a pac-man to the new adventures for this game bubsy's just doing his thing and you're like a little hand you know bothering him or trying to help him get through his day oh i don't know i don't know if i'd go that far i don't know if i would wish pac-man 2 on anybody we'll get there folks we'll get there we'll get there yeah i'm almost thinking like what if the weird cartoony elements were somewhat uh separated from the sonic the hedgehog 
level design, you know, like you would go into an area where there's just weird stuff going on and it's sort of up to you to figure out like, okay, how can I interact with this? Like, what is the solution to like, like almost puzzling out like how you're supposed to deal with this? I'd be into that. That would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe, you know, those are somewhat consequence free. Like you just don't get a bonus instead of having to lose a life and replay part of the level. I don't know. I, I can think of ways in which this could work well, but they just don't nail it. And it's it's kind of sad. Also, I just want to say, this is some of the worst parallax I've ever seen in any game ever. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Like they could have it would have been better to just have flat backgrounds in this and not have the parallax because it's it's so bad. It's distracting. There's a there's a bunch of strange graphical choices in this game, honestly, uh, both from a technical standpoint and also just aesthetically like there's a, a thing I want to shout out in the second set of levels which are all taking place at like a carnival there is this this big poster of what i can only describe as a thick pickle man oh yes one of the most buck wild things i have ever seen in a super nintendo game and he is all over that level and i just i don't get it i really kind of thought like okay are they just like laughing at the fact that they got away with putting this very phallic looking character in a nintendo <laughs> game because that's really like the only purpose of it like yeah it is yeah uh, it, yeah, it was very strange. I feel like I could talk about Bubsy for a while because, like, it's almost interesting in the way it fails. Almost, yeah, almost. But yeah, we should we should probably get to the list, unfortunately. So, like I said, I don't think this is one of the worst platform games we've played, but it's not good. So I guess we're kind of looking at something a bit middling here for for a comparison to start with. What about Tom and Jerry? Like, 86, Tom and Jerry. I think this is probably worse than that, but it's, it's you know, maybe an okay place to start. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually a little bit torn if I think it's it's better or worse than that. I think it's a much more frustrating game to play than Tom and Jerry was. Though Tom and Jerry had its frustrations as well. I mean, Tom and Jerry had those, had those, those terrible falling platforms that gave you no warning. So that was, that was a bad game design element that thankfully Bubsy does not do. Well, Bubsy does have falling platforms, but they look distinct and you start to hear a sound effect as soon as you touch it that sounds like a dropping thing. So you, so you can kind of anticipate it. Yeah. You know, talking about it more, I do actually think this is probably a more solid game and it's certainly a more interesting game than Tom and Jerry was. If nothing else, it's more ambitious. I'll give it that. True, very true, yeah. So yeah, maybe it goes above Tom and Jerry. I'd probably even put this above something like maybe The Hunt for Red October at 81. I, I mean, you know, actually, I'm looking at it, and I do think this is a better game than Pugsley's Scavenger Hunt, which we have at 82 right now. Okay, so we got Cool World at 80, and this is maybe an interesting comparison, because like... Coral kind of does the thing. Coral kind of does the thing you were talking about as far as like having the cartoony elements be more of like a puzzle thing. But that puzzle was indecipherable. Also doesn't really do much else. I might put this above Cool World. I, I think like the visuals are really the only thing that Cool World's really got going for it. We didn't get very far in that game. We basically didn't accomplish anything in that game. We just sort of messed around in the starting area. Yeah, and I did make it to that carnival level as well. So we at least both made it through the first world. So the, like that first set of three levels in Bubsy. Yes, we did. Barely remember what Brawl Brothers was. Brawl Brothers was the bad sequel to uh, uh, Rival Turf. Oh, right, right, yeah. Was it bad enough to go below this, you think? I mean, Brawl Brothers had those bad maze levels. Oh, that's right, it did. Let's talk about the the cluster of 
uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge and Super Valis 4. Do you think this is better than either of those games? I think I would go back to both of these games before I would go back to Bubsy. The X-Men one, though, might just be because I played that one a lot as a kid. I, w- how do you feel about Spider-Man and the X-Men versus Bubsy? I think Bubsy is probably a little more consistent, just because the big problem with Spider-Man and the X-Men is that it's like four different games and a couple of them are like legitimately terrible. I am totally okay with putting this between the two of those if you think that's where it goes. I think that that works for me. Well, uh, I guess. Good job, Bubsy. You made it into the top half of the list. Yeah, congratulations to uh, Bubsy Claws Encounters of the Furred Kind. Just call it Bubsy One. What if they had just had the gall to call it Bubsy One? <laughs> Bubsy, one of six. We know we're going to churn these out. We know that we're trying to d- desperately to make this, you know, like a platform, <laughs> you know, like a, a mascot platformer. Let's just call it Bubsy One. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would have respected the Gaul. Uh, like Worf from Star Trek, uh, I admire Gaul. Yes. Let's never say the full name of that game ever again. Um, to us, it will always just be Bubsy One from now on. And uh, Bubsy One, yes. And let's move on to our final game for today, which is Congo's Caper. So this was published by Data East and developed by DE Act Team, or maybe Day Act Team, I don't know. Um, I'm guessing the DE stands for Data East. I'm guessing is just to indicate that this was just like some small development team within uh, Data East USA. Uh, This game is literally their only credit, according to Moby Games. DE Act Team has Congo's Caper and... Nothing else. So I guess this was sort of an attempt to spin uh, the sort of the Joe and Mac idea off into something that was specifically made for for home consoles, right? That's sort of what I'm getting out of this, because Joe and Mac started as an arcade game. That's kind of what I would assume, too. This game came out on the Super Nintendo and only the Super Nintendo. And yeah, it is supposedly taking place in the same universe as Joe and Mac. This is not only the only game that... Uh, DE Act team made. It's the only game featuring Congo because they uh, went pretty quickly back to Joe and Mac for all subsequent titles in the series, making this game something of just like a a weird Galapagos. Strange little dead end. Um, And, you know, I I think that's fair because Congo, he doesn't have much personality. I would much rather be playing this game as either Joe or Mac. Maybe it's it's fitting that this is a weird gaming Galapagos because this is a game about a a monkey what turns into a guy, except, you know, through magic and not evolution. (laughs) Yeah, a little red orb falls from the sky at the beginning of this game. Uh, Two two red orbs and they turn Congo and his girlfriend, I guess. Yeah. uh, From from monkeys into like cave people, like cute little sort of anime cave people. And then she immediately gets kidnapped by a demon. As you do. Yep. It's one of those games. Like, good job. You got five seconds of sentience and you're already kidnapped. Video games. Put that one on the list. Uh, Another damsel in distress story. Which actually, you know, I will say we haven't had quite as many as I would have expected. And hey, in this very episode, we had a game with a lady protagonist. So that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, she gets, uh, yeah, Congo's girlfriend gets captured and then, uh, she, she actually gets captured again, 
uh, part of the way through this game. So, yeah, this is a side-scrolling platformer, uh, kind of, I would say, more in the Super Mario World mold than a lot of the stuff we've played recently. Congo has uh, a, a club that he can attack people with. He can jump, and he can also jump very high if you press up while you jump. And he can also hit enemies uh, to stun them and then sort of roll them at other enemies as another attack. So, you know, you have a few different options here, and the levels have a few uh, have, have some nice kind of side paths and secrets in them. But in general, this is a pretty straightforward game. I do think that the world looks pleasant enough. Visually, this world has a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog vibes for me. Uh, yeah, that's true, actually. It does. But also some Mario vibes. There's some some real kind of... Like, some of the levels have some, you know, those sort of round domed hills and some slanty platforms that are just very Super Mario World looking. Nothing looks that good. There's very little in the way of animation. I think the whole thing is a little drab, honestly. I can see that. Um, I will say I do like um, Congo's moveset. I mean, it's pretty simple, you know, just attack, swing the club, but he can swing it up. He can swing it to the side. You can duck and swing down. So he's got good range of motion. There aren't really any enemies that he can't deal with as he approaches them. The big thing with dealing with enemies in this game is that is, is trying to anticipate what they're going to do because some enemies just kind of jump randomly and that can be hard to react to yeah yeah i don't like that there's also a, a deeply annoying thing in like the second level where an enemy just drops down on you out of nowhere at one point and if you're if you're moving at like a normal pace like if you haven't stopped before then it's just gonna hit you but yeah there's congo can take like two hits the first hit turns him back into a monkey even though it doesn't actually change his like move set at all and the second hit will kill you so you've got a little bit of you know leeway to recover from something and there are there are kind of health restoring items there's also a weird little slot machine thing that i never really figured out the point of very strange mechanic where anytime you pick up one of those little ice cube looking icons the slot machine at the top of the screen that it's always there starts moving i never actually won anything from it so i don't know what it does for me uh, no, I didn't either, so I don't know what the point of that is. But, yeah, so, so yeah, Congo, uh, the first set of levels is just sort of like a straight, you know, linear sequence. But after you get to the end of that first world, I guess, and fight the boss there, uh, you then go inside the boss, which is strange. He's like a big dinosaur, and there's a level inside his guts where you fight a demon, and then you rescue your girlfriend, which uh, immediately results in her getting kidnapped again by the demon. And then you get a little more variety. There's actually four different sets of levels that you can pick and choose from as you want after that. And that's really what makes up the bulk of the game. So that's kind of nice. That's a little bit of a structural variation, at least, even though I don't really think those levels are like that different from each other in a lot of ways. So I'm not sure it really means that much in the end. Yeah, that sounds cool. I could not beat the dinosaurs. Yeah, um... Yeah, that's this is the thing. This is the thing I wish the game did better is a couple of the moves Congo has, particularly the like ability to roll enemies at 
other enemies after you've stunned them, and also his high jump are not actually like signposted anywhere in the game. And you can actually make it a little ways into the game before those become like necessary. So it's pretty annoying that the game doesn't like try to try to give you a heads up on any of that a little bit better. Because, uh, yeah, things like that dinosaur boss become really annoying if you don't know what you're doing there. By that time, I knew about the high jump and I knew that I could knock enemies into other enemies. But like the, the problem I kept running into was like the placement of the enemies. Like it's they're coming from the right side of the screen. I would knock them out. But then like, oh, I can't get to the left of them because there isn't enough space between them and the screen, the edge of the screen for me to get on the other side and knock them towards the T-Rex. The so then I'm like, okay, I guess I have to wait for a caveman to come, let him get further onto the screen and then do that. But he's also just like launching flying cavemen at me at various angles. And I just, I could not react fast enough. Yeah, I had a, I had a rough time with that guy. And eventually I just kind of got lucky, I think, <laughs> which isn't great. That's not really what you want. But yeah, uh, and those those later levels, there's a little more variety in like the theme. There's like a graveyard. There's a pirate ship. Uh, you know, there's a volcano. You know, so like they 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 kind of play the hits, I guess. But it's it's nice to see a little more variety there. But yeah, overall, I, I like this game pretty well, and I do think it actually controls very you know gen genuinely very well. Uh, but yeah, I just it, there's a little bit of like spice missing from it or something. What if Congo had the ability to actually like pick up enemies that he stunned? Yeah, that would be good if it was more of like a little bit of like a Klonoa thing or something. I'd be out. I'd be down with that. Yeah. Again, you know, I, I think there's potential here that was kind of wasted a little bit. But I, I think on the whole, this is an all right game. Yeah, it's a, it's an OK game. I, I don't think there's much that's really wrong with it. Yeah, I guess I got less to say about this one because it doesn't succeed or fail in any like really interesting ways the way the first two games do. Yeah, I think let's go to the list and let's find a place for old Congo here. At the very least, we could probably put this within the range of the other two games. Like, I don't think this is quite as bad as Bubsy, but I don't think this hits the heights of Alien 3 either. I, I agree with that, yeah. I guess, you know, maybe Joe and Mac might be a good starting point for this one. Yeah, let's talk about Joe and Mac, which um I think has some different design principles because it was an arcade game originally. It's a little bit more of a run and gun. This game is less janky than Joe and Mac, but I also kind of don't think it's as much fun. Yeah, I'm a little bit torn on it because it, it definitely doesn't have the jank. This is a much uh, more solid, well put together game. And it also feels a lot more methodical, like you're meant to take your time a little bit more with this one than Joe and Mac. I just think as a console game, I think this is more successful at what it's doing. I, I think Joe and Mac has just, just needed to shed a little bit more of its arcade roots to really work as a Super Nintendo game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm tempted to put this above Joe and Mac. I don't know how much higher I would have it go, though. I think actually for me, the Adams family might be the ceiling for it. All right. So then it becomes a question of does this go above or below uh, um, Gradius at number 41? Hmm. I think I'd probably rather play this than Gradius 3. Okay. So this will be our new 41 then? Uh, sounds good to me. That's a really easy choice. But yeah, if you're if you're good with it, I'm uh, that's that feels like a, a good place for it for me. All right, so congratulations, Congos, Caper, our new number 41. 
uh, yeah, that one was pretty easy. That one was just kind of slotted right in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And with that, I guess that will uh, bring episode 61 to a close. 61 episodes. Wow. I mean, if you don't count, you know, all the other things we've done, like the playing with power and all that. 61 numbered episodes to a close. Probably probably closer to, to 80 or something if you count all the other things. But yeah, I think so. But that's going to do it for today. Um, and I guess there's nothing left to do but talk about what's going to be going on next time. Yeah, uh, I guess so. Which we've actually got uh, a pretty a pretty wide variety in terms of, of genres for next time. So it looks like we have Mech Warrior, Shadow Run, and Super Black Bass. Yeah, that ought to be an interesting bunch of games. I. These are all genres that I am not all that into, but we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe one of them will be a nice surprise. You know, we'll we'll just have to see. So yeah, I I guess that's gonna do it for us uh, until next time. Did you have any other any other thoughts you wanted to leave the the people at home with? More like a bridge too short. <laughs> that's gonna do it for us uh, until next time. I'm Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs>